Welcome to Water Flying. We are on the shores of Lake Hood with Steve Williams from Acme Cub. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of Water Flying. Once again, we're on the shores of Lake Hood in Anchorage, Alaska. I am joined by my good friend that I've known for many years, Steve Williams from Acme Cub, operates one of the premier flight training, seaplane flight training facilities anywhere, and especially special because it's on Lake Hood, the largest seaplane base in the world. Thank you for uh, taking time. You were, just got back from a flight, Steve. Uh, yes, we just flew to Big Lake today. And it was a little challenging getting back because Lakehood Strip is closed. And so we had to hold VFR outside of the class uh, Charlie airspace um, to, to have, maybe held for 20, 30 minutes to be able to land uh, two five left. So it was kind of fun. Yeah, it's uh, always a challenge here. There's always something different going on between military activity over at Elmendorf. Uh, the fact that there's a lot of water that's still hard. Uh, the lake is clear, which is unusual this time of year. Yep, it's about a week early this year. Um, last year was even earlier than this, so maybe global warming's really happening. <laughs> um, but we're about a week early right now. We've been here when it's been snowing this time of year. So yes, I pick uh, typically think uh, the fifteenth is the day it's good to fly floats. And uh, today we're already and the fifth uh, of May. Fifth of May, and, and it's, it's been clear. out a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, well, hey, I you are super busy. Uh, you fly about everything there is to fly here in Alaska. Uh, you're one of the people that I respect, even though you might not hear this enough from me. But you know, I always talk you up uh, because I've just watched from afar for years and respected everything you've done. Um, you've been very generous in the uh, aviation community as well. You've been generous with the Seaplane Pilots Association, helping to support our scholarship program, as well as the Alaska Airmen's Association. But let's uh, start out just uh, telling the listeners a little bit about your background, what brought you into aviation, and and you know how you ended up starting a, a seaplane school and, and what that journey's been like. Well, I got into aviation because I saw a hang glider fly off the mountain in Wyoming, <laughs> and I had to do that. And I, I competed nationally, was ranked nationally, but I realized I didn't want to make a living that way. So I bought an airplane that week and learned to fly an airplane because I figured I could make money flying airplanes. And um, a year later, I had all my ratings, and I d I got in my truck and I drove to Alaska to be a bush pilot. <laughs> here I am. That was in 1988. Wow. And, and never looked back. Nope. Here I am. I'm loving life. Wow. That's amazing. So that, I mean, that's quite a journey. That's like 34 years of flying here in uh, Alaska. I've been here since, yeah, it's been that long, I think. And I think I met you probably around 
2002 the first time, one of my first trips up here, and been coming up ever since. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. There's so many faces for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, this is really special to be able to take the podcast on the road is always a pleasure, and I enjoy, and one of the things that we hope is a little bit different about the podcast, but to sit here in a room surrounded with windows looking at Lake Hood and watching airplanes take off and operate on the lake and, and to be able to do an interview like this, you know, this is kind of a, a hallowed ground for seaplane pilots. Uh, it's the largest seaplane base in the world. Uh, it's hard to find any place where you'll see more seaplanes flying in and out. And so many just grand adventures start uh, from this seaplane base. So what's it like to operate uh, here at Lake Hood? Well, we got, a, it's a great environment. Um, it's just the f touch and the feel of it that is amazing. Um, you go to other airports and you come back to Lake Hood and the ambience and the attitudes of people and the camaraderie is like no other airport in the world. It's just an amazing place. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to watch seaplanes or fly seaplanes, uh, you, you owe yourself a trip here. You get lost just wandering around the base. <laughs> when I, the first uh, summer I moved here in 88, in 88, I'd take my bicycle and I'd ride around the lake every night. I was just completely amazed at the place. And I actually hasn't changed much. I love the place <laughs> as much now. <laughs> I always feel guilty because I, I think they probably think I'm the feds or something because I'm always going around taking photos of everyone's airplanes because I'll, I'll see little things on a Super Cub here or there. And I just, I have to know more. I have to take a photo so I can go back and keep that with me. And I'm kind of famous for the midnight walks around the lake here. <laughs> yep, that's been me all my whole life. I still do it. <laughs> so... Uh, you guys operate a really unique school because you're here in Alaska. You have a very uh, similar sensibility to training as I do. You believe in some really uh, uh, above and beyond training for what we find in, in maybe some other locations. Talk to me about what the difference is with Acme Cub and what you guys do as far as training and what the programs look like. Well, we typically don't uh, market to the come in for two days, get a rating, and go home. That's not our business model. Our business model is um, a relationship. I teach people to fly, float planes. Um, I stay in, in contact with them, and so they don't get in trouble. I'll maybe even keep my thumb on them pretty heavily <laughs> for a while and, and loosen the reins slowly. Um, it's not safe to get a rating in in six hours and and go around alaska or go in the bush and, and pioneer places um so my clients i i typically uh keep a good relationship with them I release them let, let the reins loose you know um keep contact with what they're doing make sure they aren't running out out of bounds you know <laughs> well i think what a great resource i mean there's a good chance probably a lot of your clients stay here locally well, because of that, that's the typical client. Somebody um, uh, lives close enough. Um, I teach their son to fly. They upgrade to a 185. They upgrade to a Beaver, you know, or whatever they're doing. Um, most of us are flying in Super Cubs. They want to really learn how to fly it. Um, so typical clientele either comes to Alaska a lot or lives close to, lives close to Lake Hood. 
Yeah, so that's a really unique opportunity because not only can they do the rating, but again, they can keep in touch and they can ask you questions. And if they need to learn a particular skill or need to brush up on something, you're right here for them to use. All my clients, I say, feel free to call anytime about anything. Yeah. So my phone actually rings quite a bit. I get asked lots, lots of opinion, you know. <laughs> and I, if you're listening and you hear a bunch of background noise, which we try to always have a pretty sterile environment, um, the fancy moose is, is right here. And uh, the bar is coming alive for the afternoon. So we're getting some of the noise from, from there. Um, but uh, so that's really important. And I think that's one of the things that you stress is really making sure that the pilots that go through the program learn the skills and learn them at a, probably a higher level than uh, what's required by the, the license requirements. I like to train people or to pass the check ride with the ACS. Okay, so our training when you're getting a float plane rating is specifically just for the ACS. But then you're not ready to go um, go up to the Talkeetanas and go caribou hunting or moose hunting or land in a river up on the up in the Arctic or something. So um, a lot of people I then take further. I'll fly with them every you know once a month or or um, when they're going places they'll ask me about that. Uh, about the specifics of landing in uh, Kodiak or landing in Bristol Bay or landing on the Mulchatna River, and I'll, and I'll fill them in on the, the hazards of, that, of their flight that day, you know. Big difference between taking a Super Cub out with you, an instructor, and then uh, taking a Super Cub out and loading it up with fuel with a belly pod and, and all your camping gear and everything else. Yep, and going out west where the wind's going to blow. Uh, going up over the mountains and, and going where there's water flowing in the rivers, and especially now at melt time, you've got logs and ice and everything else coming down the rivers. Yeah, the rivers um, are dangerous when they're blown out because you can't read the water very good. So a blown-out river sometimes is more dangerous than a shallow river because yeah. it's, it's hard to read the water when it's blown out. Yeah. And those are things that are really kind of, I think, best taught here. If you're going to fly in Alaska, if you have uh, aspirations of flying in Alaska, you really need to get some Alaska-specific training. Uh, that's true. <laughs> and, and every part of Alaska is a little bit different. Um, I've flown a little bit in Southeast, but I'm, I'm, I'm no guru to the Southeast flying. Most of my flying has been in the interior and in western Alaska and in the Matsu Valley, stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, I th again, I mean, even when you break down Alaska, Alaska is so big um, that geographically it even is different within the state. I mean, it is, it is a big state, and yes, I know I have my pieces that I know well, and I have pieces that I don't know very much about. <laughs> so I know, I, you know, one of my big aspirations is to bring the Super Cub from Florida all the way up here and park it up here for a year or two and just come and get to really enjoy it because uh it's a shame not to do that and uh i've been coming up here for decades and i haven't had my own airplane here well you need to do that <laughs> yes i do yes I agree. <laughs> and the other thing one of the things we're talking about is bringing uh, small groups of people we started doing these member adventures on an annual basis and uh, i think there's enough interest here maybe of bringing some uh small uh, groups up and going out to the forest service cabins uh talked to bill rusk on one of the other podcasts uh and uh we're maintaining a website that gives all the information on the forest service cabins uh 
taking people for little tours and giving them some exposure to some of this stuff. I have spent many nights in forest service cabins because the weather's gotten bad and and that was my option (laughs) so i've stayed in several of them just because um that was my only option you know so i kind of like to know where they're at and i mark them on my on my gps now you know oh good good (laughs) well you can always go to uh, uh the website and look up the cabins and get all the information you want on it so you and i have had some conversations about what we see and what we've observed with pilots, you know, a whole generation of pilots learning on glass cockpits and, and kind of the erosion of those basic airmanship skills and some of the things that you teach and what you think is important about learning to fly seaplanes. If someone is not a seaplane pilot and they may not have thought about it, or if they are thinking about becoming a seaplane pilot, what are some of those skill sets that set seaplane pilots aside from some of the the pilots going through traditional single-engine land training right now. All, all seaplane flying to do it safely. All the information's on the horizon. None of the information's in in your panel. And so we teach people to look outside, look at the horizon. Um, uh, everything you need to know is there for takeoff, for landing, for climbing, for glassy water landings. It's all on the horizon. It may be subtle. But if you learn where to look and how to look at the horizon, it's got all the information you need. You don't need an airspeed indicator. You don't need an altimeter. Um, you don't need a horizon. All, all you need to do is look, look outside. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, easy, it's interesting watching people come and they get fixated on the instruments uh, when they get in the airplane. And uh, especially when we see these glass cockpit seaplanes. And they miss the whole point of it. Your head should be outside the cockpit, looking outside. Yep, that's a good float plane pilot. Knows where to look at the horizon, knows the information, and, and they're comfortable with it. They don't yeah. have to look inside. Oh, that's awesome. So we're picking up a lot of noise here, and I'm sorry again. We wanted to make sure we got this interview in and the time and the space and everything else. Uh, hopefully it's not too distracting. Um, but, you know, this is the, the world's largest seaplane base. This is Alaska. This is unique. I've flown off the lake many times. I, I think one of my most memorable flights off of here was getting the opportunity to fly the gooey duck. And doing touch and goes over the tower. We were in the pattern going over the kind of around the tower in the pattern and thinking, you know, there's the largest peanut gallery in the world of seaplane pilots watching me learn how to fly a gooey duck and do landings at Lake Hood. (laughs) So um, uh, what are some of the flights? What's your training of typical flight look like? Are you doing most of the training here in the pattern or are you going out and and what's that look like as far as where you're going to do the training i i typically leave lake hood and I, um get out of here it's too busy um and we do most of our training in all the little lakes and ponds between here and big lake um and then i go to the river to sit in the river the typical training place at lake hood is it our is uh um, figure eight lake and I don't go there too much. Okay, yeah. It's 20 minutes out, 20 minutes back. I just start at Point McKenzie and all the little lakes. Um, so I don't – and then uh, go to the uh, Susitna River, give people a little bit of a taste of a landing in rivers and what to watch out for and, and uh, reading the channel and stuff like that. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've been all those places. They're awesome. Uh, what should someone budget as far as time uh, and money to come do a rating uh, when they come here? Um, we like, once again, now we're going to the basic rating, which yep. is just teaching uh, the basics in the ACS. And the minimum time, absolute minimum time is two days. And I don't like that too, too rushed. So I like three to four days to do it. And plan um, for a little extra for yeah, weather yeah, and, and yeah, yeah or if there's maintenance problems or weather and you know if they stay up too late at night or something you know <laughs> which from the noise in the background yeah. this would be one of the contributors to that so so um people are going to pay four to five thousand dollars i don't have a package yep okay. i got an hourly rate for ground instruction and an hourly rate for flight instruction and um and a and a check ride fee yeah. Okay, and so if somebody needs a little bit extra um, uh, training on glassy water landings, because that's the killer item. It is the killer item. Um, yeah. Then my instructor is not going to sign me off. So, um, it, and if I have a flat fee, the instructor is tempted to sign people off that aren't ready for the check ride. Yeah. So, because of that, my check ride pass rate is pretty high because in, instructors don't. Uh, send people to their till they're ready. They don't want to get rid of them. They love flying with them, and if they're not ready, they're gonna they're gonna fly a few more hours. Yeah, I think the important thing to realize is that uh, it's not about the cost; it's about the quality. You take your time, come here, do the rating, go learn the skills that you need to understand and know, and come out with what it's going to take to be. Even even with whatever training you get here, you're still a very green seaplane pilot. Yep. And with that, I I personally do a glossy water landing every landing every time. Chop the power. I set my attitude. I come back in with the power at the right pitch. So whenever I land on glassy water, I've it's second nature. I've done it ten thousand times. Yeah. Um, rough water landing. I do glassy water landing. Wow. You know, um, at normal landing, I do a glassy water landing, so I'm always chopping the power, lifting my nose to the attitude, and adding power. So I'm comfortable with it. I've done it a, a million times. Yeah. Well, I you're the first person that's ever come on the show that said that, and I just think that's awesome about doing a glassy water every time because it's the most dangerous landing you're going to do, the most hazardous, it's the most challenging, and the more familiar, the more practiced you are with it, the more you can do it on demand when you need to in those challenging circumstances. And that's a transfer of learning skills too. Uh, if you're landing on skis and you get white out, shot the power, go to the glassy water attitude and let it down with power. I've done it on wheels, I've done it on skis, and I've done it on floats. It's a great technique to have in your bag, tool bag. Yeah, I, I'll never forget uh, a couple years ago, there was a beaver pilot that lost an engine over the um, inland passage and uh, he landed in a lake and uh, successfully and and for some reason it caught the media and in the interview his question was or his answer was uh, well uh, it was the first uh, power off landing I've ever done and I'm just glad it was successful and I, I just that kind of grabbed me and I was like what do you mean? This was the first power off landing you've ever done. <laughs> he did a glassy water landing every time. Chop so, the power, lift yeah. your nose, 
use the power yeah. to control the touchdown instead of using flaring to control the touchdown. It's a different mind thought. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, if you're not familiar with seaplanes, uh, one thing that is probably the single most important skill you'll get on your check ride as far as being examined is being able to demonstrate that glassy water, and it's for good reason. That's, that's the ticket to being a, a good uh, seaplane pilot. No matter how much you want to convince yourself, you'll see that surface of the water. You are wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> so, well, that's great. Well, I tell you what, Steve, it is uh, an honor to have you on. I want to really commend you and, and give you credit. You, again, you've been so generous to the uh, Tyler Orso Chuck Kimes Memorial Seaplane Scholarship that we've awarded. You've trained several of our recipients over the years. Uh, your generosity to the Alaska Airmen's Association. Uh, last year in 2021, you actually uh, provided the airplane for the raffle. That is a very good um, Super Cup. That's the best one I've ever built. So, And you gave it away. <laughs> well, we gave it away, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what what motivates you? What's what's so important about that for you to, to kind of provide that kind of uh, generosity and support well, for the community? When When I was a young man, I decided I had to, have, I, whatever I did in life, I had to live in a place I love, and I had to do something I love, and I had to be with people I love. And so that's why I do this. It's what I love. It's where I love. And uh, I just have a blast every day. We have such a great crew at my office. Um, very low drama place to work. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it. Uh, it takes people like you to make the world move and to really make an impact and uh, to make a difference. And uh, you deserve so much credit for what you've given to the community. And if you want to learn from a, a school and with the, just the, the tribal knowledge that you have, I mean, you're, you're well over 17,000 hours now. Um, I've been putting 17,000 on my log and my medical for about the last five years so, <laughs> so it's a lot more than that. I, I don't know where it's at and this is in everything from super cubs to beavers to do you name it yep i've flown bush in alaska um since um since i came in 88 i've flown king airs flew beach 99 flew a learjet for three years through a citation for a year so and whenever i was doing that i was always running my flight school yeah so been flight school for the whole time 34 years flying here in alaska so again the experience that you can get from flying at acme cub is just tremendous and one of the other things that we were talking about earlier was the attrition of seaplane pilots as an overall population but also here in the state of alaska uh, the highest attrition of any state in the union which is amazing because this is number two in the country for the number of seaplane pilots, number one for the number of seaplanes. And yet you guys over the last 22 years have experienced a 41% loss of seaplane pilots, which makes your support of the scholarship programs and the Airmen's Association and the Seaplane Pilots Association all that more important. What do you, what do you see as someone operating here of what may be the contributing factors causing that attrition? I think the number one cost uh, is the cost of flying. Has soared in the last five years, and in the last 12 months, it's it's went crazy. I don't know why. Cost of airplanes, um, cost of parts, um, it has, has doubled in the last um, short period of time. So it's cost, and part of it is advertising. Um, the Bush 
flying on big tires has gotten such such marketing and such um, time in the media that the float plane stuff uh, it's the same clientele that would love to go float plane that would like to go fly, fly with big tires big on big it tires and so uh, it's come it's a competition for 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 the market uh, am i going to buy a float plane super cub or am i going to put it on 35s and and both are great but they're competing with each other yeah and those 35s while they are very expensive are still a uh, uh, down payment on a set of floats. Yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> so, but it, it you know it, it is different. There's a lot of similarities. We're both going to the backcountry and everything else. Uh, there are similarities, but it, the you know Jim Richmond, as you were as you and I were talking about, really changed the landscape of of general aviation and opened up I think everyone's eyes to the joys of uh, going to the backcountry and made it accessible through his products. There's one thing I need to say about that is. If you want to open up the backcountry and you're a reasonably low time pilot, uh, you want to start in a float plane. Um, it's much safer to go land on a river in the um, you know in the Arctic or out west in a float plane than to go out on 35 inch tires. It, the learning curve on wheels is much higher than the learning curve on floats. Um, so anybody that comes to me and they want to go be uh, have an airplane to go hunting i say get a flow plane start in a flow plane you can go to wheels in four or five years but you got to start on flow plane or your your chances of bending metal is much higher and bending metal when you're remote and there's no one around to help you unbend it or get you out is a big deal uh, that's a fact so flow planes are definitely the way to start your bush flying and, and that's really interesting because, again, as we were talking about the erosion of pilot skills or the lack of pilot skills that a lot of people have, uh, those skills are easily built in a, in a seaplane. And go out with an instructor and yes. just fly the pants off. You know, one of the things that we hear over and over again is that there's no availability of people to rent seaplanes. And what I tell people is, you know, you just honestly need to put your ego in the garbage can and realize that if you don't own and operate a seaplane, you probably don't fly one enough to be safe. That's a fact. <laughs> I will agree with that. Um, people, um, renting to people a float plane is about like renting a, a Super Cub with 35-inch tires. Um, no guarantee it's coming back that no day. No <laughs> guarantee it's coming back that day. Okay? And, and then when somebody buys one, they realize how much money it costs and how much... There is to run an airplane behind the scenes, you know, that they get uh, their perception changes really quick. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying that, you know, it's great flying big wheels. And I love flying Super Cubs into remote strips and on riverbeds and everything else. But, again, you're dealing with stumps and rocks and, and ruts and this and that and everything. And one bad move has pretty significant consequences really quickly. It does. And float planes, though, I can turn. There's less hazards in the field on a float plane than there is on wheel bush flying on big tires. So, and this is coming from a guy that does a lot of both. Yes. That's a fact. <laughs> so. And I train both, and I fix airplanes from both. And, um, uh, you know, you don't repair that many seaplanes 
If we repair a lot of uh, Super Cubs on big tires, they come in for a lot of problems. Yeah, and you, you do have a full maintenance operation along with the flight school as well. Uh, that's probably a bigger part of our business is maintaining, building, uh, uh, rebuilding, doing annuals on Super Cubs. That's, the maintenance side is a much bigger part of my business than the training side. Yeah, so I know who I'm going to call when I have questions on my Super Cub. Yep. <laughs> well, hey, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you taking time literally from getting out of the airplane to running over here to do this interview and, um, you know, to do it here in Alaska in person with you. I'm hoping to have an opportunity to fly with you this trip. If not, I'm going to be back in September right at the end of flow flying season. Uh, I've got to go up to uh, Fairbanks to do an AIS thing. Uh, but, um, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. You're always someone that I try to spend time with when I come into town. I recommend a lot of people come to you. Your generosity between the Seaplane Pilots Association and the Alaska Airmen's is, is truly to be, uh, you know, it's an inspiration. And I wish other people would follow in your footsteps. Uh, so, Steve Williams, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, it's acmecubtraining.com is your website. That's my website. And that's got my phone number and it's got an email address on it. Okay, so if you want to get some of the absolute best Super Cub training anywhere in the world, I uh, would encourage you to look up Steve Williams and his operation at acmecubtraining.com. Here in Anchorage, Alaska, operating off of Lake Hood, uh, they don't get any better than this. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I, uh, is there anything I failed to, to, to talk about with you? Oh, no, I think, we, I think we had some good topics. If we keep talking, we'll be here all night. <laughs> we can talk airplanes all night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, amazing episode. Please share it with your friends. And uh, until next time, blue skies and calm waters, my friends. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.